Hey, this is Kevin Bow, and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Welcome to episode number 22 of the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and Beyond Era music. Featured this week are conversations and music with the legendary Kevin Bow about his new album, Half Past Never. Also, part two with the iconic vocalist of the Meters, Willie West, discussing his new album, Soul Sessions, plus music by Molly Brandt. I'm your host, Mark Sterry. Check me out at MarkSterryMusic.com. And thank you for supporting live and local music. Hey, this is Molly Brandt, and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Sky 
That was Molly Brandt with her new single coming out June 23rd called Bluff Country Paradise. Album release is July 22nd as well as a release show at the Turf Club. Interview coming next month. Next up is legendary singer, songwriter, producer, and more, Kevin Bowe. From the Kill Room, Kevin talks about his new album, Half Past Never, Talks Equipment, and The Longhorn. Afterwards, check out his new song, California Sober. Kevin Bowe, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Kevin? It's going good. It's, a, it's been an eventful day so far. I've already done a funeral. Um, as a, Not as the featured guest, but... Um, had to go to a funeral, and then I did a uh, FaceTime writing session with this young uh, woman in England uh, that I'm working with, uh, Courtney Hadwin, and uh, she's great. She's 18, and she lives in, I guess I'd call it the Bemidji of England. That's hilarious. (laughs) I know. She lives in Hartlepool, which is uh, on the northeast coast of England. So it's kind of a little resort town and it's probably, it's, it's like closer to Scotland than it is to London. So that's, that's their evening town time right now, isn't it? Six hour difference. Six yes. hour difference. Yeah. I teach at a, I teach at a philosophy college and I have students from England all the time and it works out well for me as a musician. Cause I can, during the afternoon, I can do that stuff. And for them it's, it's their evening nice. time works out great. So when you do, don't you just love listening to him talk? I do. I love the lingo. <laughs> Me too. You know, I wish I could say the loo and things like that as convincing as they do. Uh, all their yeah. cool bloody hell and everything else. I I, I love That's it. So great. So when you do co-writes over Zoom, do you, with her younger or someone young like that, do you start off? Are you more the music guy or the lyric guy, or how do you guys collaborate? Well, it's different with every artist. My philosophy with not just writing, but with everything in music is I just sit in the empty chair, whatever they don't want to do. I'm happy to do. And I'm lucky that I've been doing this long enough that I can do any of the jobs pretty much, uh, some better than others. But, um, so with Courtney, um, I, uh, I'll get a track going and, um, then we'll talk and come up with a title. I usually like to start with a title when I'm writing when I can. And so I'll come up with a few ideas and I'll run them past her, you know, and she'll have a few and then we'll pick one. And um, then uh, like with her, so she's like a lot of great singers. She's super strong with melody. So I don't touch melody. Um, She's also great with phrasing and we just bounce the lyrics back and forth until we come up with something. It's funny because she's such a great singer that I'll come up with a line and I'll think, well, this isn't really very good. And then she'll sing it. And then I go, oh, my God, that's the best line ever. Oh, that's <laughs> outstanding. That's you outstanding. I mean? So you don't touch the melodies really much with this this artist at all. I did a lot of songwriting in Nashville when I was working for a publishing company down there. And it seemed like they all it was so much focus on lyric. And there was like no emphasis on the melody at all to me. It's, it seemed like so you guys are mostly carving out lyrics. Um, Well, I just leave Melody alone with her because she's so good at it. So I purposely, I don't want to introduce a Melody because I feel like my melodic ideas, I'd be blocking, you know what I mean? Her Mm -hmm. her better idea. And I don't want her to get in the habit of singing my Melody for a line. So if I have an idea for a verse, I'll send it to her and I will literally just talk it over the track. And then then she'll take it from there. But I know what you mean about Nashville. Um, 
I think not that great melodies don't come from Nashville, but they the melody is kind of an assumption. Like nobody's sweating over the melody. They're all we're all because I've written in Nashville for Jesus. 30 years, 25 years. And it's, it's always all about the lyric. They also don't sweat a lot over the chord changes. No, (laughs) (laughs) you're right there. So are you coming, coming at us from the kill room, your studio? Yeah. Can you tell us about your studio? Uh, What do you want to know? What's like, when'd you settle up? What kind of gear you got? How you run things down there? Um, boys, feel like i don't run things the, the clients run run things but they run what they run is me ragged um so i moved into this house my wife is a realtor and she found this house eight years ago and we got it luckily before it went on the market and it's perfect um uh and so i needed to build a great studio because we're in tangletown and so the airplane traffic is significant and so my buddy Dave All, the drummer from the Suicide Commandos, the, the first punk rock band from Minnesota, really, he's a professional studio builder. He built tons of the studios around town. He built Flight Time and blah, blah, blah. So um, he had built a couple of smaller studios for me before. And this is the first time I wanted to go whole hog. And I knew I had to because of the airplane traffic. And so he built it. I'm not a, like, don't even hand me a hammer unless you want trouble. It's I'm just going to hurt myself. So Dave built it. And um, in order to, to defray some of the costs, I produced the Suicide Commandos 40th anniversary album, which was just between us girls. I would have done it for nothing because the Suicide Commandos are my heroes. You know, it's a chance to work with your heroes. But he built it. You want a little tour here? Sure. Why not? OK, I'm not very good with cameras and such cameras and the like but we'll see what we can do here. So we got the guitars over here. Can, are, the, are you getting a good shot? A perfect shot, actually. I'll just describe it to the listeners. It's a big string of guitars, man, a bass, acoustic, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we got a... I never had a truly great acoustic guitar until uh, about four years ago, I think. Um I went to Willie's and, and I got some advice from uh, my friend Woody, um, great uh, inventor. He's really, he's an inventor. He invented the mastery bridge that everyone uses on their jazz masters. And I've known him forever. Um, it's kind of a great American story, Woody is, because he was just this little guy working at Willie's, fixing guitars and teching for Soul Asylum. And then he's, he's a tinkerer. And he came up, you know, all these people that own jazz masters, there's some, apparently some inherent flaw a lot of people feel with the bridge and they don't tune right or play right or something. And he solved this problem. And now he's sold just thousands and thousands and thousands of these bridges that he invented. He makes them for tellies too. And um, it's the American dream. Uh, I mean, he's very, very, very successful. He's a really smart guy. So... um, why are we talking about that? Um, he he knows he wrote this book, the the book about Martin guitars, the history of Martin guitars. So he helped me pick out a Martin, and I, so I finally have a great acoustic guitar. And this Fender bass, um, I, I started over the last few years playing a lot of bass on the records I produce. Unless it's something super fancy, then I will call someone like Ian Allison, someone who's like a real bass player. But um, I had 
Ted Vig in St. Paul uh, put some pickups in that bass and in my telly, and it just, he's a genius. Those pickups are, it just was a real game changer. And then I have this, uh, I don't know if you can see this Strat. It's a really a cool, uh, what's that Texas guitar player that everyone loves? Not Steve Ray Vaughan. The, the, um, I wouldn't call him jazz rock fusion. He's more rootsy than that. But you know, like the- Like the really, Gary Clark Jr.? No, older. Um, Freddie King? No, whiter. Oh, Johnny Winter? No, he's like- Joe Bonamassa? Less rootsy. Anyway, this is his Strat model. Such an idiot. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but uh, it's it's beautiful. It's it's their fecal brown <laughs> color. It is very desirable. That's hilarious. And uh, so then I got a Jerry Jones baritone guitar, which is a, a great secret weapon, the baritone guitar. People think of them just for country, but, and you know, you put a lot of reverb and delay and tremolo on them and stuff, but they're great for like punk rock stuff because if you put that, that baritone through a dirty amp, it is just a nasty sound. Then I got a fake Paul McCartney Beatle bass, you know, like a fake Hofner. And then my, my probably overall favorite guitar is a 63 Guild Starfire that I absolutely love. And then a, um, I got this Gretsch, mostly because I think it looks cool, and I like to pretend I'm in Buffalo Springfield. It's a beautiful, um, beautiful white big guitar. looks awesome. It's like a, if a 57 Chevy was a guitar, it'd be that. <laughs> that had a, my midlife crisis, which I'm so old now, that was like, Many years ago, I got my dream guitar, uh, a Rickenbacker 12-string, one of the really nice ones, and I hated it. It sounded great, but the neck is so narrow, it, it made me feel like a bad guitar player every time I picked it up. It made me feel like an oaf with cocktail wiener fingers. So I traded it even up for this dude, which is a very good trade for me. I think the other guy smoked a lot of weed, because after we did the trade a year later, he contacted me said will you trade back and i was like hell no oh my god so i really like that uh gretch white falcon and then this is a um there's some more guitars in the other room but uh this is a cool one that my wife got me a long time ago it's a washburn from the 30s oh wow kind of a like a, it's not super great past the seventh fret but it's really a beautiful parlor parlor guitar that's uh, great the funny thing is now though i if I'm doing a pop song, I sometimes finish a song recently and go, oh, my God, there's no guitar on it. You know I what I mean? That, yeah. So some days these things are just firewood. I hear you. But then the, um, the rest of the studio, you can see Dave all put in these bass traps. And uh, so here's the, the overview of the control room. Um, here's the juicy stuff. So we got a. You really want me to like go through? No, just just a quick. You're just a quick. Just looking at it quick. Yeah, there's just for the people listening. It just knobs and knobs like flying the. Uh, I know USS Enterprise. Let's be honest. Nobody but you or me cares about what's in these racks, but and we care too much. But a bunch of compressors, couple of distressors, bunch of API, couple of API EQs, a cool Falcon compressor by made by Dave Hill up in Superior, who just passed away. God rest his soul. Um, 
some for some manly pre's, more API pre's, a couple of UAs, this weird pendulum audio, two channel tube pre, a cool Kush tweaker compressor, and a couple of Neves. And then I got a another deal here, a little rack with a five hundred a lun- another lunchbox that I'm working on filling. Just got that Audioscape LA2A. Wow. Um, which I love, love, love. The big deal in here, though, is, is about five, four, five years ago, I got these ATC monitors, and those have been a game changer for me. Um, I never could really hear what was going on in the low end here, and I'd have to check the mix in my car and check the mix on these NS10s and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But now I finally, with these ATCs, if they say that it's right, it's right. Wow, that's cool. They're really cool. And then some funky crap in here. There's a space echo that actually works really well and some pedals. Sometimes if I'm feeling frisky, I'll mix, you know, uh, go out of Pro Tools and, and put stuff through pedals. And then the other, um, here's the hall between. So when I have a new client, I walk really slow down this hall. <laughs> you can see that stuff. And if they slow down, that I know they're really interested in, not just tire kickers. <laughs> wow, yeah, it's a bunch of gold records on the wall, featured albums. Remember those? I do remember those. Back in the day. So here's the drum room that Dave built. So half of the room is dug out deeper than the other half. That's um, interesting. Was done, that was done by the previous owners because they had some apparently some absurdly tall exercise machines. Um, <laughs> so it works great for drums. And then during COVID, I started... I was bored, so I did all kinds of weird crap. Like, I started using top and bottom uh, rack and floor mics, which is stupid, but I haven't used a sample since I started doing it. I got the Coles as sidewash and then these fake KM84s on the overheads. Um, uh, I would put the Coles as overheads, but the room isn't, you know, high enough. The ceiling isn't high enough. And so um, the way it's set up, though, I have a Q-mix system so that I can have, like I just did Joanne Parker's, uh, her band's new record. And since they're, they play live a lot, they have that magic of a live band. So the way to make them sound best is to have them all set up, you know, together and play live. And they can do that in here. We, I had a five-piece band in here all playing live together at the same time. And, uh, and everyone has their own cue mix. That's nice. Magic. And then they can see each other, too, because that... In front of my thing there, that, that black panel is there, but that comes down and there's a big window between the rooms so they can see each other. So I throw the bass player. Uh, Chris Bates is now playing bass in that band, which is working with him was amazing. Um, and so him and the drummer can be in the drum room and then the rest of them can be in here. And uh, I can put amps in other rooms and stuff. And um, they just knocked it out. It was great. Cool. So earlier you mentioned the Suicide Commandos, and I've been Mm -hmm. doing this podcast for eight plus years, and I've always been fascinated with the earlier Minnesota music scene based around the Longhorn. Like You're the, talking to the right guy. Like the suburbs, like uh, that, just that whole scene, the Suicide Commandos, uh, Robert Wilkinson and the boys, uh, the Flaming O's. And I was just, because I, I was doing some research on you, obviously, for the podcast, and I just wanted to pick your brain. I just, actually, just quick, if you wanted to share some of your memories of that whole Longhorn scene. Well, 
it's funny because I quit doing drugs in 1979. So I actually do remember the Longhorn site. Unlike a lot of people there, justifiably so, do not remember it, even though they were there. Um, I feel like, you know, I... I grew up playing in bands and high school bands in the seventies. And I don't mean like the school high school band. I never did any of that, but high school rock bands doing stones covers and who covers and, and, and things like that. But I was very depressed near the end of the seventies, partly because I'd gotten into like super bad drug addiction and not even fun drugs like angel dust and stuff like that. So the things were, at an, I was at a low point and I was also depressed because I love I loved then and I still love now a lot of the music that was made, say, in the early 50s through 1976. But there was a big shift in American rock music in 1976. They came up with the AOR format. And so radio stations like KQRS that used to be in the I always say in the early and mid 70s, KQRS is white is what stations like the current kind of pretend they are now and i'm not knocking the current god bless the current but they do have a playlist and it is a format you know what i mean the djs don't decide what songs they're going to play all the time I'm, maybe they get to pick some of them but it's a it's a business you know what i mean but in up until 1976 when they shifted over to this aor format the djs on kqrs they'd play holland wolf into Joni mitchell into miles davis into jethro tell i mean it was they just played whatever they want and it was crazy weird music by bands that that didn't their 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 bands weren't formed in boardrooms they were formed in garages and basements and they were weird because they kind of i always call them bands that they invented themselves you know like take a band like jeff hotel this is just a random example i'm not saying they're the best band in the world i liked them but before Jethro Tull, whatever sounded like Jethro Tull, what a weird idea for a band that's a weird band and in 1976 it moved over into music partly because I think of this shift. I guess a lot of corporations started realizing, hey, rock and roll's not going away. We can make some serious money off these kids. So they come up with this AOR format and try to and they treat it kind of like top 40 radio was, um, where they're, you know, it's slotted and the radio stations paid people to tell them what to play. So then you end up with bands like Foreigner and Journey and stuff like that. And I'm able to see the the musical value in bands like that, but it was never, it was not my thing. And I found it very depressing. So I started listening to older and older music. Um, but then when I, uh, I got off dope and I graduated high school and I moved from the suburbs to downtown where I've lived ever since. And I started going to the Longhorn and playing in punk rock bands. And that's, I feel like that's where I learned what music is because watching bands like Husker Du, the replacements and the suburbs were, and the suicide commandos were probably my favorites along with NNB. Um, and there were many other fantastic bands, uh, flame and O's, but, um, that's where I realized, or I learned what music is in a way that I'll never unlearn. I got punk rock in my blood. I feel like it's not always for the best. It hasn't always been great for my career. <laughs> Having that in, in you, you know what I mean? Like, it's really hard for me to deal even now with artists that are on labels and there's some guy telling us how to make the record. Um, I can do it, but it's not my favorite. And I don't think that I'm the best at it. You know what I mean? I like um, uh, 
dealing with where, where it's just me and the art, me and the band or me and the artist. And there's only one person to please. If the artist is happy, then I'm happy as opposed to like we do a song and send it to some A&R people and they're sitting around a table listening to it. And I just, I don't deal well with that. Um, and that's, I think what I learned from the Longhorn and I was in a crappy bands back then, but super fun. And we would open for the suburbs all the time. Uh, my band uh, split a rehearsal space with the suburbs at 28th and Hennepin, this basement of this paint store. And just watching them rehearse was a religious experience. They were so good. And the replacements, when they were good, were so good. Husker Du was almost always good. Um, and so watching that just made a mark on me that I'll never, I'll never lose. That's so that was four amazing times. That's and then it moved over to the entry, which was amazing for a few years. Um, so yeah, that was my musical growing up, I feel like. Take the rest of my life to define a kind of way to make it all alright again. But the party's never over, cause I'm a California sober. Living in between the
like to take a minute or two to thank the two sponsors of this week's podcast, Ivy Chrysler's Umbrella and the B-Dale Club. Summer School in Turtle Lake, Wisconsin is in full swing. I'm driving from Wisconsin to Minnesota, back and forth, shows, school, whatever. But I'm enjoying the hell out of it because I absolutely love my new Jeep Cherokee X. I recently got from Mighty Chrysler, Zombroda. Their philosophy is simple. Time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory at ZombrodaCDJR.com or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombroda, Minnesota to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out ID Chrysler Zombroda today. Enjoy safe midsummer season. Full of adventures and memories out in an open road in a new ride. Damn it. Also, the Beatle Club, the BDC 2100, one of my favorite bars, if not in the world, for sure, in the Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota area. They're located on the corner of County Road B and Dale, and their motto is a place for family, a place for friends, and that is stone, cold, truth, not to forget, a place for fun. I am going to miss dearly my second and fourth Thursday of the month shows in the month of June, but I will be back in July. Natalie, Shelley, Dustin, the entire bar staff are all state-of-the-art cocktail wizards. As of late, my libation of choice is the classic Greyhound cocktail. And there to quote 16-time world champion Ric Flair, tasty little devils. Live music, pool table, pull tabs, Tuesday night, chess society, bingo, meat raffle, bocce ball Thursdays, which is spring session just ended this last week, and much, much more B-Dale's got it all. Stop by for a cold one today next up is part two with willie west discussing his new album soul sessions alan toussaint albert king aaron neville and more afterwards check out his song dust my brew you, so know, you got hooked maybe, up with the meters through the neville brothers well i had been working with uh, aaron in several other bands you know before he simply made it you know Aaron Neville, before he really super made it, we had been working different gigs together. After his hit record that he had was called uh, Tell It Like It Is. And he was, you know, he, we used to work a lot of things together, different bands and stuff. So we'd be pretty close. Is that tattoo on his face a cross? No, that's a dagger. It's a dagger. Yeah, it's a it's a dagger, like you know. Dagger. Cool. That's kind of badass. Yeah. Well, what happened is that that was that caused a lot of problems with for for the TV things back in the day when you had a hit record. I think that I was heard I heard that they didn't want to go on because he had just in his face. I think it was. Either the Ed Sullivan show he was supposed to go out, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I don't want you to quote me on it, but I, I heard these kind of rumors. And he, you know, they, they kind of give him a hassle. So I don't think he was able to go on one of those shows. I don't know whether it was Ed Sullivan, one of them. Because he had that, it was just gangsters at that period. Yeah. But now, it, everything goes now yeah know. it does a tattoo on the face is no big deal nowadays yeah um yeah, right. so i discovered this next artist 
at recently, like this last year, and I can't believe I did not listen to this guy before that, but he's one of my favorites. I'm going to screw mm-hmm. up his last name, but Alan Toussaint. Toussaint? Alan Toussaint. He's Alan outstanding. Toussaint. And how, so you worked with him too? Of course. Alan Toussaint was my producer. God, he is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did, we did songs such as Fairchild, which is a classic. I don't know if you ever heard it. Fairchild, uh, Greatest Love, Hello Mama, uh, Baby, Baby, I Love It, which was one that they put in the movie Joy. It was in the movie Joy. Which, uh, um, what else? Uh, Did You Have Fun? I recorded over for, with Alan, but that was my first one of my first songs that came out that happened to make a little noise. But that was in the movie Rings. Rings, one of those fright movies. And they played that. And several other movies, uh, you know, I was in, my, my songs were in, you know. But uh, I was, you know, pretty much lucky to get that. Because most guys don't get a chance to get this stuff in movies, you know. And that was, that was a big lift for you. So, in my view, Alan Toussaint is one of the just an amazing vocalist. I love his singing style. So, obviously, with the soul sessions, it's focused on your your singing ability. And so, who would you say would be your most influential or favorite singers of all time? Well, I would say the Willie John, Jackie Wilson. That's that's about three to four of them. Little Willie John, Jackie Wilson, it was James Brown, it, 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 you know, in the beginning for those, because, you know, and, you know, some others, but these are basically my favorite kind of singers. You know, I, I, I cherished those guys. I thought they were super smoky, you know, the rest of the guys. But uh, Jackie, Jackie Wilson, Solomon, Solomon Burke, that's, you know, was a friend of mine, and a bunch of, the, you know, the artists. So we, you know, these are the kind of people that, of my era, you know, I, I'm i I'm up in age now, but these were got some of the same people up in my era, Otis Reddings, you know, all of these different artists. And I, you know, managed to, to tour with these guys, to go on tour and open for some of these guys, such as Otis, Eddie Floyd, Solomon, you know, and comedians like Pigmeat Markham, um, Moms Mabley, you know, these kind of people. So I had that, that privilege to, to open for these kind of people. And it was awesome all the way. Did you ever run across James Brown? That's one of my favorites. Yes, uh, and I, I have did. a question I, specific. So one yeah. of my other heroes besides Leo, I'm a guitar player and harmonica player. Sugar Blue is my yeah. favorite harmonica player, but he's been on the podcast. But my guitar influences besides Leo, my other one is Jimmy Nolan from James Brown. And he's so, but I can't find anything on him. Like there's, I, there's really no information. And he was such an integral part of that sound. I'm just curious yeah. if you ever came across him at all. No, not really. I the, the thing of it is, I was working with a group out of New Orleans, and this was in the 
late 60s, I think, and uh, a group called Deacon John, and, and it used to be Deacon John and the Electric Soul Train. Now, this was during the, when The Rock was coming in, and James Brown, we opened for James Brown at the Municipal Auditorium, and, uh, well, he I didn't get a chance to really talk to him or anything, and, and this was one, this was during the Easter Sunday, I'll never forget, and we were at the auditorium, you know, and uh, the, the next weekend, I went to New York, because I was going up to New York to do some recording with the album, and uh, we went down to Small's Paradise in, in, uh, in what's that, uh, Brooklyn, um, down in, off of Lenox Boulevard, yeah. A small paradise, and we went there, and there was dancing out on the floor. Now this was the next weekend after he had worked in at the at, in New Orleans. You know, when I went to to New York, there he was. My cousin and I went into Small's Paradise, which is a little, a little nightclub, and we went in there that evening. And who was in there but James Brown? Dancing all the floor with some girls, you know, just clowning around, you know. And I met him. I said, "Man, I, 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 I we just opened for you in New Orleans." He, well, he did, you know, but he didn't, you know, he didn't see us because he was in the dressing room. But uh, we had opened for his show. It was really nice, awesome, you know. That is a but fabulous that, story. Fabulous. Yeah, James, uh, yeah, James was something else. So Jim for me, Brown, this is Jim such Jackson. a treat having you on this show that had experience with some of like my most influential favorite musicians of all time. Uh, this yeah. is just thank you so much for doing this. I want to ask you a little yeah. bit about your album, a couple songs on that, because I'll play some of your songs on my show. So uh-huh. so what's the song? What's the story behind the song? Why would you pick it or how would you record it? Somebody Have Mercy. That's that's a Sam Cooke song in uh Oh, you know that, huh? That's a Sam Cooke song. Mm-hmm. You didn't know? Oh, you knew that? Yeah, well, that's a Sam Cooke song. Sam Cooke is one of my favorites. One of my favorites. I met him when I was 15 years old, back in in not maybe 15 miles from 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 my hometown in Thibodeau, Louisiana. There was a club we used to play called Hosey Hills Sugar Bowl. And uh, Hosey used to bring all of the acts there, the Midnighters, Hank Ballard, the Midnighters, uh, you know, Nappy Brown, no blues singer, Fats Domino, Ike and Tina Turner, that's how I met, met them. You know, uh, uh, was uh, Guitar Shorty, Blues Man, Guitar Shorty, used to run and do flips with the guitar. These, these were the kind of people in Guitar Slim. I don't know if you heard of Guitar Slim. Absolutely. Well, I know, you know, I met him. When I was down there too, we used to go see, hear him play and watch him hang from the raffles with his guitar. You know, with it, you know, he used to dye his hair red, one side red, one side green, suit like the same color. You know, shoes the same color. And he come out and he really was a colorful kind of guy. And uh, this is the kind of people that I, I you know, I, I read into out there. You know, and my later years. People such as Albert King, we actually wrote, actually, CP, I mean, uh, um, 
we wrote the song I've Got the Blues, which I recorded with Leo Nocentelli and I put that together for, for Albert King. I've Got the Blues. Albert and King is my other my fav- other really? favorite guitar player of all time. I collect all his stuff. Like, I collect his stuff. Um, did you ever get a chance to meet that fella? Of course. <laughs> yeah, Albert King. Uh, He's a giant. He's a big guy, right? Yeah, he was a big guy. Albert King. But uh, he, he loved them blues, and he played them very well. That's who Hendrix liked uh that's who was this other little guy that died in a plane crash stevie ray vaughn stevie ray vaughn these were all all fans of of albert king you know they were fans of albert if you you know if you listen to, to stevie ray he has a taste of albert you know he you know he did some stuff with albert i think on you know a video with him you know, but uh, Albert King, great, great guy. But he he liked that song. I've got the blues, and he put it on. We still it's still being played all over in Sweden. You know, still we still drawing. Uh, I used to say residuals. <laughs> mailbox money, as Dan Neal would say. Yeah, yeah, that's oh. what Neil says. Living out of the mailbox. <laughs> mailbox money. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> How did you meet Albert King? Well, Albert King, actually, there was a club down in, in, on Claiborne Avenue in New Orleans. And he came to play there uh, years before I even uh, met him to, to record. But he came to play there, and I, and I was opening the show there at the club with my band. And I met him there. At the club Alhambra, in in uh, on Claiborne Avenue, North Claiborne, and uh, it was a big club. Used to play there myself, Aaron Neville, uh, Johnny Adams, and and Willie West. You know, we played. We were all on the show together uh, at the club. That's the club we used to work at. So they brought Albert King in too. You know, he came in and worked did a, a couple of nights there. But that's how I met him at that club. Absolutely so fascinating. I met a lot of these people, man. You know, tell me, you know, for, on, from that scene, from my from my point of view, from the scene, I was I had signed with an agency when I came to New Orleans. I had signed with this agency who was booking me with everybody. He had me opening for Otis Reddings because he had his own band and. Uh, the guy that was booking the show had his own band to play behind these these artists, play behind Mary Wells, you know, Joe Simon. I mean, it's just on and on. You know, I can just name them all. But these are the kind of people that I met and was and was out there with them. You know, as a youngster, I was out there kicking it. You know, but that was the times. Man. You have led a fascinating life. Uh, it's very, very interesting. Let me ask you about one more song. How about the song uh-huh. Said to Myself? That's just uh, that was a saying. Oh, I said to myself. You know, and that's, that was something that I 
team up with years ago, I said to myself, I don't want no one else, just you and me. You know, that's, you know, that's, that was just, that's just a saying. So you take and put a story around a saying. I said to myself, well, that was a good idea. So I jotted it down and then next, you know, I just sit down and think hard to see, see what I would say in the, in the next lyrics, you know. So I would finally put it all together. Well, that's what you got, said to myself. Love it. Just you and me.
Bringing home this week's episode of the Minnesota Music Shakedown is another song by one of the featured guests this week, Kevin Bow, with another new song called Half Past Never. Big thanks to Andrew Crowley from Organica Recording for assisting in post-production. This has been the Minnesota Music Shakedown. If you'd like to toss a buck or two into the podcast tip jar, please go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Starry Music. If you like what I do, check out my website, markstarrymusic.com. For artist or song submission, please email me at markstarrymusic at gmail.com or message me on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. (laughs) 